Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on the Domestic Supply Chain Summit. Uh, I'm Ryan Schreiber. I have with me here my friend Drew Herbeck of NTG. Uh, we're going to be talking capacity, uh, impacts of, of capacity. I mean, it's been an incredibly crazy, uh, really almost 20 months at this point. When you go back to the beginning of 2020, things were, you know, things were hot. Then they were dead. Then they've just been on fire. And so there's been a ton of change, a ton of flux. And we really want to talk about, you know, kind of the impacts of capacity today. So, Drew, thanks for joining me. Why don't you introduce yourself really quickly for the fans at home who, if there's anybody who doesn't know you, would be surprising, but do it for us. No, I appreciate that, Ryan. Always good to join you as well, too. But yeah, Drew Herbeck, CCO of NTG Freight. Uh, been in the industry for a little bit over 16 years, really focusing on, you know, capacity supply chain issues as well. Sure. Thanks. When, you know, when, when FreightWaves asked me to do this and, and said the topic was capacity, like, you know, low key, you are the capacity guru that I always think of, uh, except for maybe, you know, some of my teammates here at Carry Direct, but that's not to disparage you. Um, so thanks a lot for joining me. And I think that this is going to be uh, just like a great conversation. Uh, really quickly, kind of to kick this off, right? I mean, this is Domestic Supply Chain Summit. We're talking about shippers. We're talking about the impact of capacity on those on shippers, and you know, you and I sit here. Um, really, both of us. You, you are a transportation provider. I have been for a long time. I serve transportation providers. You know, primarily. Um, I also serve shippers, um, but not as a provider anymore. Um, but so we ha we have a good seat to see kind of like what is going on, um, what the impacts on our on our clients are. And so I want to start off by maybe asking you. Are there any trends that you're seeing from your customers about how they are thinking of differently about dealing with the capacity constraints that we've all been facing over the last 20 months? Yeah, no, absolutely. And to your point to there, Ryan, you know, it's really been these last 20 months. I've seen it probably change more in the last 20 months than I did in my previous 15 years, right? And so um, obviously there's a lot of, you know, dynamics that go into this, but I think the, the big thing that I've seen uh, is really how they're looking at their their supply chain, right? Not only from their asset side, but also from their brokerage side as well, too. Uh, and the one thing that we've really seen from that, you know, brokerage street PL side, is just how they've been going through their RFPs, how they've been looking at their cycles. Uh, you know, the one thing that's always been kind of a, you know, steadfast in the industry has just been the, you know, annual RFP process, how you go about that. You know, one thing that we've seen, I mean, you've talked about a bunch as well, too. Now you've got a lot of, you know, customers going back to that quarterly and, and monthly, you know, bid process. And, you know, Three, four, five years ago, that wasn't really possible on their end because technology solutions wasn't there. Those processes would take a month time to turn around. Now some of these companies are able to turn on their RFP process in a week or, or you know a couple of days. So I think we're seeing more of that. The one thing that you know I I, I find a little bit ironic is you know everybody says this is here to stay uh, with these new you know systems and this technology. That's where I go back into these cycles that we are always in this market, right? And so to this point, right, you know, in this month or in this quarter, that works now. The minute, though, that we see these, you know, customers be able to get the prices and the rates that they want to, we're going to flip back to those annual RFPs, right? But right now they're playing the market a little bit. They've got to go month and quarterly because they don't want to lock in too long. And that's kind of the cycle that we're in right now in the market. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. You know, what I really wanted to talk about here was, you know, a, a talking point of mine is always the future is flexible. The future is flexible. And this is a great example of the, how the future is flexible and, and how technology is enabling our customers, shippers, our customers 
to do things differently because the planning required to do an RFP as just one example of this has been constrained so much, right? As you just talked about. So like they don't have to gather all of this lane data, the volume, the market intelligence, the way that they used to, to be able to do their RFP. They're in a situation where they can just, they can be a lot more, um, they have more options and they can be more flexible. And so to your point, they can flip back to an annual when it makes sense for them. They can flip back to, you know, they can go to quarterly where it makes sense for them and when it makes sense for them. And they don't necessarily even have to do it across their whole book, right? I mean, I think you've seen this. I've certainly seen it where, you know, on some of their lanes there, you know, I've, I've certainly seen many bids on, you know, month long or quarter long, or excuse me, uh, month long on, on some things, quarter long on some things and, and their annual on the rest. And, and, and the ability for them to be flexible is exactly what you're, is, is what you're talking about. And I think that's one perfect example. I agree with you too, on the whole concept of this is, this is different. It's never going back to the way that it was. And I think that's short-sighted. I think it's really short-sighted to say, you know, that, that, that things will never ever go back to any sort of sense of normalcy. Now, maybe the, maybe the floor has risen. You and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday uh, when we were prepping, maybe the floor has risen, right? We might not go back to 2019, but to suggest that there's not going to be a deflationary rate environment, to suggest that there's not going to be a loosening of capacity just really isn't supported by history. And, and yes, we are in, there are unprecedented times here and things are changing, but that, that, that has always been the story. And, and it's really difficult to, to say, yeah, when you get granular, this is different than anything else. But when you zoom up a little bit, there have absolutely been times where capacity has been constrained for a significant amount of time. The one thing I'm looking at, though, Drew, that I'd like your take on on that point, though, is really this shift. Because you said about they're looking at supply chains broadly and not just transportation providers. Because what I'm tracking is this shift in kind of globalization, right? And so, you know, where the where stuff is coming into this country and how carriers are going to have to balance their networks as 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 manufacturers shift from so much of the freight coming into the port of Long Beach, so much freight coming from Southeast Asia to a more national approach to inbound. I think that's going to have an interesting impact on the balance of, of networks for carriers. And I think that's going to take five or six years to sort out. I'd love your thoughts on that. No, yeah, you, you're hitting a huge point here right now. And I think the one thing that's, you know, been on the, the topic of a lot of media and you've probably seen it out there a ton too, you know, supply chain disruptions, right? You know, we just had Thanksgiving and I've got all my family and friends for the first time ever in my career asking me about supply chain issues, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I think my Uber drivers. It's causing, you know, everything, right? We, we had a real life situation here at NTG where, you know, some of our desks are actually stuck in a container right now, right? That we're trying to get over here. So, so people are going through these issues, right? And it's one of those things that's happening to everybody across. But I think to your point, you know, Ryan, we're at, we're at an inflection point. I mean, you've talked about this, you know, a bunch before too. Everybody talks about these, you know, driver shortages issues. I think they've just changed in the landscape of where they're working now, right? And to that point, we talked a little bit, you know, is it the most desirable thing to be an over-the-road driver? And, and I think the answer to your point, and you're shaking your head, no, it is no, right? And I think they've seen this over the last, you know, few months 
um, where, hey, maybe maybe I start doing local port work in the drainage work because it's there, right? Maybe I start getting into the, the sprinter and, and straight cargo uh, work as well, too, because now you know, I can be home at five o'clock at night. Um, we even talked about it as too. Like maybe I start going to do warehouse work, right? You know, because I don't have to be behind the truck anymore. And so I think when we look at this, you know, landscape over the next, you know, few years and how it changes, I think those runs and that length of haul is going to start to come down a lot. I think supply chains are going to have to be very specific on the DCs and the centers that they're using, right? You know, it's one thing for us to just be able to say, hey, listen, I don't want to go to Long Beach tomorrow. I want to go to Houston or I want to be able to go to Savannah. Uh, but that takes time. That takes, you know, repositioning some of your DCs, you know, positioning of your warehousing. Uh, and the one thing that me and you have talked about, and I know we'll touch on it too, Ryan, how do you get some of these floating warehouses with trailers when we're having a, you know, trailer supply chain issue as well too? Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's a great point. And I think that exactly what you're talking about with, um, you know, with that infrastructure required, because it's not even just moving your warehouses. It's having the warehouses in the right places. It's having the railheads in the right places, right? You know, I, I joked in my Uber driver, but literally I was leaving Chicago two months ago and we're, you know, I'm going to O'Hare and it's five o'clock and I got an hour Uber ahead of me. And my Uber driver says, what do you do? I say, I work in trucking. And he goes, let me ask you a question. And I said, well, how long do you want the short answer? Or the long answer. We got an hour. So I gave him the long answer. And what it came back to is infrastructure, right? Infrastructure overseas for manufacturers, for, uh, you know, for, for raw goods to, to like, there needs to be infrastructure overseas for those to be manufactured or, 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 or uh, originated in different places, right? I mean, if I was at a shipper summit recently, a shipper conference recently, and they were talking about, hey, listen, like China's not that much cheaper that anymore, but they have the infrastructure that other countries don't have. And then the infrastructure domestically to make those shifts, which is why I think it's probably a five-year change. But the impact on capacity, exactly what you're talking about, is optionality. I don't have to drive OTR to make a decent living. And I can, you know, I can more easily switch between some different jobs. I can, you know, maybe it's warehouse, maybe it's maybe it's local cartage, right? Maybe it's an Uber driver, maybe it's, but the point is there are multiple options. And as we have this, you know, as as as, as the leap ahead in e-com has made that demand for local delivery type work, particularly cartage. That's just another example of just those options being on the table. I want to talk to, I want to touch on trailers because that's something that you and I were just, you know, you, you alluded to and that I, uh, I'm super passionate about it. It just so happened to come out in, in our email yesterday after, after our prep session. But what I like to call the end of BYOT, bring your own trailer. Cause there's an incredible market inefficiency as it relates to trailers, right? You've got three trucks in a place and three loads in a place. But there's two dry van loads and one reefer load. But these are three flatbed trucks. Everybody's screwed. And so this, you know, one of the major impacts here that the trailer shortage is really highlighting is the impacts of bringing your own trailer. So I'd love your thoughts on sort of like what are you seeing there beyond just this trailer proliferation Armageddon? But maybe touch on that too. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And we we talked a little bit about like class A, so I'll kind of kick it off of that. Like the class A truck sales was kind of the big talk in 2021, the chip shortages and some of the impact of these carriers being able to get that. I think in 2022, we're going to talk about the trailers in that same aspect, right? These OEMs are probably they're, they're saying somewhere between 15 and 16 months behind on some of these uh, trailers. So if we just stop today, we're still not going to catch up for another year at least, right? And, and so when I think about that. 
these traders are going to be treated like gold next year, right? And, and these carriers are going to treat it that same way as well, too. We're on the flip side of this. These customers are, you know, in a little bit of a just-in-time inventory. They've been using a lot of these trailers as floating warehouses, right? Yeah. And, and so now the, the premium on those floating warehouses is going to really happen in 2022, in my opinion. I think the other thing that we see as well, too, Ryan, change a little bit. You know, over my years, I've seen carriers, especially for customers directly, um, you know, drop, you know, for one load a week, two loads a week, maybe, right? And, you know, yeah. the, kind of the rule of thumb has always been, you know, you have to have at least three turns a week. I think you're going to have to see a minimum for any trailer being dropped anywhere to be able to do that. Because if not, there's going to be other needs from other customers out there that are going to provide the volume at that. And you can't sacrifice your trailer for one turn a week the way that they're going to be treated going into 2022. No, it's true. I mean, you know, they're already, you know, they're already treated like gold. Maybe they'll be treated like platinum, I think, because really, I mean, you're, you're the interesting thing about the capacity crunch that we're dealing with is that it's really the confluence, a lot of factors and, and the trailer, the trailer Armageddon is really this reckoning of how we've dealt with creating surplus capacity over the last probably 10, 15 years of trailer proliferation, right? Like, and and this isn't a dig on on you know these companies, but like you know Hunt with Box 360, Convoy with their program, Uber with their program. As you've seen, like that's just that's just fuel to the fire of exactly what you're talking about. This use of tra- trailers as as sort of this surplus warehouse capacity um, over the last yeah you know 20 years or so. And and I think what you're seeing now too is this shift of thinking from just in time to what retailers have been calling just in case or manufacturers have been calling just in case and prologis is out of warehousing space right so there's there's all of these problems as an example and so there's all of these problems that kind of come to bear there but i still you know drew what's funny is we're saying all of these things that are that are kind of scary that suggest that that rates are going to stay up and the capacity is going to stay constrained but you and i both believe that capacity is likely to excuse me the capacity is likely to loosen right and that rates are likely to at least come down at some point. And so it's interesting. I, I'd love, you know, kind of my thought here a little bit is that, um, that, that, you know, what we've seen historically with rates and capacity is that when you've had that rate inversion, when the spot rates have kind of climbed above that contract market, you've seen people come in, you've seen drivers come in from other industries, come in from oil field, or they come, they go OTR from local work or whatever it might be. And we haven't seen that recently. But I think that, you know, that's still there still is the opportunity for that to balance out as driver wages go up. Those those job one thing to look at is when, you know, those those wages go up, driver wages go up so we can attract those drivers that more and more drivers are going to um, are going to be able to enter the market or, or, or excuse me, um, more and more drivers are going to look at the warehouse or whatever that other work was as not as attractive because now they're you know, now they can make more money. Um, and then the other thing is the infrastructure bill. Right. The infrastructure bill is going to make, uh, you know, is going to make uh, the, the industry a better place for drivers. It's going to take a little bit of time. But, you know, the, my favorite statistic, J.B. Hunt has this great white paper. And I'm sorry to plug a competitor of you, but J.B. Hunt has this great white paper called 660 Minutes. And I read it like once a year. And what jumps out at me every single time is this statistic that essentially there are three and a half million class eight trucks on the road. Right. And traffic has the equivalent impact of taking one out of every six trucks off the road entirely. If we could just get rid of traffic, we'd have, you know, we'd have one out of every six trucks back available on the road. So 
those are some of the things I'm looking at that I think will help bring down uh, help bring down rates and help kind of uh, buoy capacity. What are some of the things you're looking at? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, you bring up the word traffic, right? That, that's one thing that's always been out there, right? But I always think of, I go back to this and this is true at the ports. And I think this is true at any DC too. It goes back to the appointment setting, right? When you think about detention and the wasted time that we have on this a lot, that's one thing that I see as a, a um, you know, a gap in our industry that we've really got to fix, right? This has been going on 15, 20 years, the inadequate technology at these ports, uh, being able to get these drivers in and out of there to be able to get goods to these DCs uh, that we can keep the flow of traffic, I guess you yeah. could say, moving, Ryan, right? You know, I think going back to you where you were saying about the rates in general, I don't think we're going to get back down to the, t- the sub $2 days, right? Um, I, no. think, I think inflation is real right now, right? The supply and demand issues there. We've talked about this as well, too. The faucet's on. Supply is coming back into the market. The new hires are getting hired at a higher rate. Uh, training classes are, you know, being turned on at a higher rate now as well, too, with kind of COVID um, kind of getting a little bit in the past here. Obviously, we've got new variants and things like that coming out. Um, but I think that the, to your point, we are going to start, you know, to see a little bit more of this deflationary cycle. Now, to that point, I think we're going to be stuck in this for another good probably six to seven months. I think we probably see it on the back end of the 2022 year. But I don't think we see it where it goes completely deflationary, right? I think we see it maybe stair step down. Uh, maybe we get down into those, you know, 240, 250, you know, per mile kind of things. Um, but I think it's going to be one of those things right now where until we can get, you know, the capacity where we need to, the supply is still, I mean, I'm sorry, the demand is still outweighing the supply in this current market that we're in. Well, a number of things that we've talked about is the impact of utilization, right? We talked about that with trailers. We talked about that with traffic. You just talked about that with appointment scheduling. I mean, one of the pieces, one of the technology, technological solutions that I'm the, really the most interested in is dynamic appointment scheduling, leveraging some of this technology that we have to really help, right? Because within the side, the four walls of a warehouse, there are reasons it takes a little bit of time to unload a truck or load a truck, right? And so, you know, having a more connected ecosystem, what I like to call the internet of freight, you know, in the future, I, I see kind of like our next 10 years being the creation of this internet of freight, just like you had internet of things. And one of those things that I think is really going to help us is dynamic appointments and and anything, all of these things we talked about are really impacts on on utilization, which is going to drive capacity. Which you know isn't net new capacity, but it's getting the most out of the capacity. Well, and you, to your point, right? We've talked about a lot in the last five, I'd say three or four years, this dynamic rates or dynamic pricing, right? And you think about dynamic optimization, making sure that we're you know eliminating deadhead and connecting these trucks to the, the best freight matches out there. I think you hit the nail on the head though on this appointment setting process, right? The the dead time or what the work they could be doing, right? If they have other equipment out there uh, instead of just sitting at a shipper or sitting at a constant need mm-hmm. for hours at a time. And that, and that's, you know, because at the end of the day, you can optimize all you want, but they still got to bump a dock, right? Or they still got to get a chassis on that trailer. Like those, that that still has to happen. And that's where we lose the most time, right? That's where we really, that's where the driver utilization really becomes an issue. Parking matters. A lot of these other things matter. But at the end of the day, it's standing in line waiting to check in for your delivery appointment. It's going back in to get your paperwork after you have a green light, you know, because we haven't digitized that in a lot of respect. Those are the things I'm really looking forward to that I think in the next, you know, 24, 18 to 24 months will have a major impact on capacity. But I agree with you. I think we're looking at probably a stair-step environment towards the end of, of, of 22. I think we're actually out of time. So Drew, thanks a ton for joining me. It was a fun, co- we could obviously keep going all day, but thanks for joining me. 
Uh, everybody, uh, check out more of the Domestic Supply Chain Summit here on Freight Waves. Um, and Freight Waves, thanks for having us. We'll talk soon.